This week's episode of Enchanted Tiki Talk is brought to you by our proud sponsors at Kingdom Strollers, providing premium stroller and crib rentals, delivered straight to your Disney or Orlando Resort hotel or vacation home free of charge. You choose the time of delivery and pickup, and we do the rest. It couldn't be easier. So book your Kingdom Stroller rental today by visiting KingdomStrollers.com or call 407-271-5301. And at MousePros.com. Let these Disney travel specialists help plan your next Disney vacation. MousePros.com offers free concierge service to help guide you every step of the way in planning your perfect Disney vacation. Let them sweat the details so you can focus on the fun. Visit MousePros.com for a free no-obligation quote. Ask for Tiki Bird Sean or any of our friendly agents. And now, on with the show. Vahini Mekyoni Mana, ladies and gentlemen, no flashbulbs, please. Our performers are temperamental and easily upset. Thank you for your cooperation. Oh, look at all the people. My goodness, you're all staring at us. We better start the show rolling. Wait, wait, we forgot to wake up the Glee Club. Hey, howdy, hey, and thank you for joining us here on Enchanted Channel Tiki Talk. We're your hosts. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. And I'm Alan. So grab yourself a Dole Whip, pull up a chair, and enjoy the show. This is episode 164 for the week of December 11th, 2016. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Enchanted Tiki Talk. This week, we bring back a friend of the show, Kat Cressida, into the Tiki Hut. Kat is an accomplished voice actress with Disney credits such as Jesse from Toy Story and Disney Infinity and Constance from the Haunted Mansion. So we welcome Kat back in the Tiki Hut. Welcome, Kat. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. We're so excited to talk to you again. I know we had a, a lot of response the last time you were on there, and people wanted to learn more about um, you know Constance, so hopefully we can get into that a little bit more. And it's just fun talking to you, so thank you so much for coming back on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's it's always interesting to hear what someone, the, the kick-in or the lead-off to these things I, I always find it entertaining that the only two credits that people tend to mention are, are what you just said when there's like so much cooler stuff <laughs> you've done and certainly much more cooler stuff I've done recently. But um, but hey, if that's if that's the hook in, then that's uh, that's cool. <laughs> well, I mean, it, you got to understand how many people listen to Constance going through the ride and like, oh, my God, now yeah, I know who you are. And the popularity know. of Haunted Mansion for us as a Disney podcast is like it's huge. Right. Uh, I, I actually was told last year when we did the Halloween, I was part of the Radio Disney, you know, win a chance to ride the mansion with Cat Cressida right. sweepstakes thing. And they told me that within the Disney universe, covering everything, Star Wars, Marvel, Disney Parks, that the most used hashtag is Haunted Mansion. Oh, really? Uh, internationally, it's the most used hashtag uh, of all the Disney sub brands i was like i was astonished i was like really <laughs> uh, this time we wanted to focus a little bit more on the voiceover side of the business and recently you posted a commercial how does that doing commercials and doing voices for commercials how does that affect you in your career uh as opposed to doing things for like disney infinity or anything along those lines how different is that with commercials and reaching your audience or, or learning more from your audience I think that that's a multi-layered question, and I'm I'm happy to try to address the different questions within it. You know, uh, the uh, I mean, the obvious answer that comes to my mind is we're we're blessed to be a part of anything. You know, with regards to professional voiceover, when you go into voiceover, you're most of us, um, myself included, are going in it to be in voiceover. 
just like someone goes into on-camera acting. I don't think most people go into on-camera acting saying, all I want to do is sitcoms, for example. Right. You know, they, they, you're entering into a world that's broad and vast and requires, um, a, you know, a lot of uh, educating yourself and learning the skill sets involved. And there's subsets within voiceover, you know, just, just like in if you're going to be an actor, there's Broadway theater, there's off-Broadway theater, there's TV commercials, there's sitcoms, there's one-hour TV, there's HBO and, you know, that version of it. And then there's, of course, theatrical movies. And then within movies, there's rom-coms and action-adventure and mysteries and thrillers and document. You know, so there's all different. In voiceover, the same thing. There's uh, commercials, radio and television. There's animation there's video games, there's ancillary products, which include toys and all other kinds of, you know, educational things like leapfrogs and, you know, if anybody has kids or any of the play school stuff. So there's there's a lot that one can do as a voiceover talent and you're just lucky, I think. One is lucky to be making a living at it in, in all the different swimming pools if, if you're able to. It's, it's all supportive of uh, getting better and better and stronger at the microphone. So I, I hope that's answering some of your question. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, uh, answer it as best as I can and holistically as I can. Is that helpful? Is that sort yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, that definitely is. And, you know, on the other end of things is when you're doing, when you're doing um, a commercial and have you ever been out there, you know, just for example, you know, since you did a Kellogg's commercial or anything in that, in that realm, have you ever been out there and you've ever heard anybody talk about a commercial when you're in a store or anything like that, that you've done and just be like, wow, you know, that's my voice. And you know, you just get, you you just get that little happiness feeling inside that like, oh yeah, like they know who I am, but they don't know that I know, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. I, I mean, I think so. Um, again, most of us, I can only speak for myself and the peers that I know, but most of us go into voiceover with us. I think a slightly different, uh, approach to our careers than someone who wants to be an on-camera for example if you're if you're if you're doing voiceover you're behind the scenes right in general you're not going into voiceover to become quote-unquote famous or quote-unquote well-known not that people go into acting all the time with that agenda um i think people go on reality shows with that agenda (laughs) but i don't think people who train to be you know broadway talent or really really strong actors are are thinking only about the eye on the prize of being known or being well known. A lot of people are motivated by loving the craft of acting and they are separate. To answer your question, it sounds like so far what you're asking me, it's more like, how does that help your brand or how does that help the awareness of you? And I don't even know how to quite address that because I didn't go into voiceover to be known or for people to go, oh my God, I totally recognize that voice. In fact, a lot of what I do, celebrity voice matching, is all about the opposite, which is um, diving so deeply into someone else's voice match that you think it's someone else. Right. So I, I've had the experience a couple of times of being, you know, somewhere where my, you know, certainly on the Haunted Mansion, but, you know, <laughs> star, star tours, you know, right. hearing my voice play is one of the PA announcements that, that goes on a cycle right. or safety spiels. And, you know, I know, I know it's my voice. Uh, but I'm not, there's no part of me hoping that people suddenly go, who's that voice or, you know, right, right. 
that's not why I'm doing it. And uh, it's it's fun to be at like a Comic Con situation on a panel where people want to talk about the video game. But it also always cracks me up because here I am on this panel with you know sometimes it's with some of the game creators or some of the writers or uh, some of the animators or whatnot. And really, I'm just the voice. And and I say that with no amount of Bull Durham, you know, BS. I'm just happy to play for the... You know, it's not false modesty. I really am just the lucky son of a gun who got hired to be a part of the project and kind of in the 11th hour because right. there's so much development and creation that's going into it way before I ever step up to the microphone. And in general, celebrities aside, when you hire a voice talent... You're hiring them because they're bringing to life the vision that the creators had in mind, not because you're coming with your own ego and sense of, oh, man, I'm going to totally rock this project and bring it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. We're not uh, we're not hired to come in and be anything other than a great voice behind the character that they've already pretty much created. And kudos to them. You know, those game developers are working on a game for, what, three years, five years before it sees the light of day. I'm coming in sort of towards the end of it to bring to life the voice aspect of it. And I don't, I can't answer it. You know, I was just doing something for Fallout 4 and people were throwing questions. And I wanted to say, of course, I didn't say it quite as sarcastically or snappy as I wanted to, but I wanted to say... I have no clue what you're talking about. I, you know, I don't. I didn't develop the game. I, I don't know what happens after level 18, and nor is it my job or business to be hypothesizing about. <laughs> in, uh, right. I didn't write. So, um, it's 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 great that people get enthusiastic. It's really adorable and sweet when they have questions that go beyond what my participation was. But to answer the holistic question that you asked me. It's great that people have an interest in interest in voiceover, and there are exceptions to the rules. Certainly, the the Simpsons cast and um, you know the creators of animated projects, and they can certainly speak to the broader being known for something. But most of us are just really grateful and excited to be doing what we do, apart from the being known for it side of it. So, Kat, you mentioned um, something that interests me. You mentioned voice matching, uh, and we talked about it at the top of the show. You did the voice for Jesse for the Disney Infinity series, which obviously Jesse in the films was uh, voiced by Joan Cusack. How much time? Maybe not time, but how? how yeah, that is quite. How much time do you put into? You know, you have to sound exactly like Joan Cusack. It's easy for Joan Cusack to sound like Joan Cusack, but how <laughs> much time do you have to? You know, how much time do you spend when you get called and say? You know, hey, Kat, we need you to do this voice uh, because we can't get, you know, the person who usually does it. How is this something you can do kind of naturally because you've been doing this so long? And that's a great question. And um, I think it's it's both. It's you spend a lot of time um, on particularly on a specific match once you've been hired, once you've gone through the callbacks or once you've you've been hired. I certainly go back and really try and make sure that it's as tight and as perfect and, and in the cut as possible. Um, also, because I do so much of it, I, I would think I probably can pick up a match relatively quickly. Um, it certainly depends on the person. I mean, sorry, the talent. It depends on all of their quirks and uniquenesses and textures and tones and everything. Uh, there's a lot of layers to... Because voice matching uh, is very different from an impersonation. An impersonation is just sort of the superficial um, isms 
of somebody and usually the gist of an impersonation is not to so completely match them that you don't know it's the real person. It's to sort of usually make fun of or bring a humorous, you know, see that person through a humorous lens, so to speak. So it doesn't have to be dead on with a voice match. The goal is to be so completely disappearing into the match that you believe that it's the actual uh, celebrity or or actor. So there's a lot of layers and levels to that. Does the person have a dialect uh, or a regionalism, which everybody does, even if they don't think they do. <laughs> um, I have one. You know, I speak with a decidedly California dialect uh, when I'm not trying to be something or when I'm not just going into my beauteous, you know, generic voiceover voice. So um, there's there's the regionalisms. There's what do they what do they do with their mouth? Do they have a smirk on their face? You know, do they have a sarcastic kind of a speaking out of the side of their mouth? Do they, are they always smiling? Are they always beaming? Are they are they very dry in, in their delivery? Meaning that their mouth doesn't often smile or upturn at the corners. Um, what tone of voice? Do they have any texture to their voice? Do I have to add texture or take away texture so that I sound more like them? What pitch are they at? Do they do they speak at a high range? You know, uh, comparable to mine, or are they deeper? Um, how fast do they talk? How slow do they? T- There's so much that goes into matching a voice, and you can go deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And of course, I've been lo- I've been lucky enough and blessed enough to be. Um, matching Joan for a while so I like to think that I get closer and closer and closer to what she was doing in Toy Story you know all the time by continuously going back into it just like anything you get better and better and stronger at it the more you do it we get new matches every day and probably because I've been doing it for a while you know for at least at least 12 years focusing on it um, I can probably pick up a match you know relatively quickly compared to the average bear and I probably can do it stronger and closer because it's something that I love personally it's a passion of mine but sometimes you have no time like for for movie trailers sometimes they just want the match and they need it in an hour I just do absolute best that I can you know for the half hour that I'm listening to it and I try and find YouTube videos to watch the person's face their mask to see what they do with their with their facial mask that's what we call it and um and really listen hard. And then you've got to, of course, apply it usually to a script. You're applying it to different words than what you're hearing them on. And that makes a big difference, too. For example, uh, I'm not trying to sound all intelligent, by the way. I'm just trying to describe it as best as I know how. But for your listeners out there listening to this, trying to figure out what I'm talking about, I've got the map, so to speak, for Jessie the cowgirl from Toy Story 2, the movie, and from Toy Story 3, the movie, um, but that's all that's all I have of her. So then they give me a brand new script, you know, in a different situation, maybe a learning, maybe it's a learning toy, uh, teaching a kid the time. So I've got to somehow transpose the map of everything she did with the lines that I'm used to and then put them on new words and still sound like her. And that takes a little bit more experience than just matching what we already know that she does. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's take, because it, it would be easy to just read the, or redo, you know, the Toy Story 2 script, because you know exactly how she did it. So you could match exactly. that a lot easier than you could, well, how would Joan Cusack read this line? <laughs> exactly. I have nothing to reference. So you have to, fee- you almost have to be Joan Cusack. Yeah, which exactly. Which obviously yeah. is a lot, is very talent, uh, very talented if you'd be able to do. 
Well, I don't have to be, it's very, you put it very well. I don't have to be her, but I have to sort of anticipate how would she have perhaps said this so it still sounds recognizable as Jesse. And, um, and sometimes the scripts can be so far off the map, the grid, that you're just like, oh my God, you know, how am I going to, she would never have said this is what you want to say. But right. we don't have that option. <laughs> you don't know you don't know how Jesse the Cowgirl would say two plus two equals four if you're doing like a leapfrog <laughs> game. But exactly. Jesse the Cowgirl has to say two plus two equals four. So how would Jesse <laughs> say that in a Jesse the Cowgirl type way? And sometimes so it goes even weirder. Sometimes you're so far off the map, you're like, why did they even think that this would be, you know yeah. So yes, exactly. And then and then and Jesse's she's one of the more complex ones because of course Joan is doing so many awesome, amazing, um, you know, unique things, quirky things with her. She's got a very unique, quirky um, voice and, and all of that. But then you've got ones that are far drier and not nearly as much to grab, quote unquote, grab onto. But you still need to trick someone into believing it's them. You know, a Julia Roberts or an Angelina Jolie or an Amy Adams. I just did something for Amy Adams for a movie trailer. What do you grab onto so that it tricks the ear into believing it's Amy Adams? One thing I was always curious about, like when you go to bed at night and you're dreaming, do you ever do you ever like dream of uh, <laughs> the, the the voices that you're doing? Like, we ever have a conversations with somebody in your dream in that particular voice? Does that ever happen? No, that hasn't happened. But I do have like a lot of actors, all those stereotypical anxiety dreams, okay. like showing up at the mic. I mean. You know, you have to be a little bit nuts to be an actor anyway, right? Because you're putting yourself out there for constant rejection and there's no clear cut path to actually having a secure living right. <laughs> in general. <laughs> so um, I I think that all of us have those natural, understandable anxieties and human vulnerabilities that everybody has. And so I've had all those stereotypical dreams of showing up and not knowing what the script is panicked because nobody's told me what I'm doing uh, naked dreams you know every actor has those I think you know where you, <laughs> you suddenly realize that you're stark naked and, I, think, I think it happens to everybody yeah <laughs> I mean it, it's a human you know that's that's right. the obvious the Freudian interpretation is you've shown up without any of your armor or any preparation whatsoever so um, I have those I have dreams where because you do a lot of edit, editing, um, you know, when you have a home studio, it's it's almost requ a requirement now in voiceover that you have to be proficient um, in recording your own auditions and editing them and uploading them. And then I've got my ESPN billboards that I do every week that I record from home and edit and upload for ESPN. And so I have a lot of anxiety dreams of having edited something and then I can't find it. Right. <laughs> or, you know doesn't sound like it doesn't sound all that frightening to an outsider but believe me as a voice talent to have recorded a whole session and then you can't find it anywhere oh, right. it's well, pretty nerve-wracking. So. on a smaller scale uh, i think sean can uh, at least understand where you're coming from we have on more than one occasion done an interview and then like it's gone we don't oh know where God. it went and that's that's not a fun experience, no, uh, even for me, who isn't the one who's doing the recording. So it was even worse for Sean. But not to compare that to you with ESPN, obviously not the same uh, level, but I think we at least understand where you're coming from. Now, I want to talk sports for a minute. I know you're a big Dodger fan, and I know yes. that you're a huge Vin Scully fan. And you have, with this being his, his, fi this was his final season, you had posted a lot of things on social media concerning Vin Scully. And, you know, he is the gold standard for... For sports announcers, whether you're a Dodger fan or not, you know his voice is recognizable. 
uh, you know, it's just one of those voices out there that is just it's perfection, and it doesn't matter what background you have, who if you're a Yankee fan, you're a Cub fan, it doesn't matter. You're going to know his voice, yeah, a Giants fan. It's it's just one of those one of those voices. So, what has his career meant to you, being someone who has to evoke so much emotion with their voice? Well, it's a really good question, and I don't want to sound like I'm Little Miss, you know, Nelly negating because I'm not meaning to oppose what you're saying at all. I do want to be very clear because I think it's important to. He's a he's a brilliant sportscaster, right? And a brilliant. Um, and, and no doubt, a beautiful storyteller and a beautiful um, voice. So I'm not I'm not uh, negating anything that you just said. But truthfully, he's not a voiceover talent, nor am I a sportscaster. So I would be I would feel inauthentic to put the two in the same category. Um, you know, like what a lot of times because I ended up doing the announcing for the NFL draft. People have mistaken. I even ended up on a TV, a live morning show where people thought I was a sportscaster. Oh, really? They, they hadn't done their homework. That, that's a hilarious story. Oh, wow. But aside from that, being a sportscaster is such a tremendous skill. I mean, oh, my God, you have to really know that sport inside out and not only know it inside out. I just sounded like Finstalli for two seconds. Did you hear that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Actually, you really have to know to, to be brilliant at it at the level that and nobody's in Vin Scully's camp, nobody. But to be anywhere close to being a professional sportscaster for any of the major teams or even the college teams, you have to not only know the sport, you have to know the players, you have to know their statistics. You need to be able to make it sound like storytelling if you're really good, as if you just pulled up a chair and are you don't even have to be the audience if if, if the sportscaster is truly great, the audience doesn't have to really know the sport to be engaged in it. And the better the sportscaster, the less you need to know to be engaged in the sport, if that makes any sense. Yeah, so it definitely makes sense, yes. He just lifts it to such an art form that every other sportscaster who's brilliant around him is going, oh my God, he's the platinum standard. So sportscasting is a totally different skill set in, in most aspects than voiceover is. Voiceover is voice acting. And it comes with, with a whole, you know, subset of what you need to know about it. So truthfully, to, to get back to your question, while Vin Scully has been a part of my life and a part of my childhood and growing up and my passion and love for the Dodgers, I don't think at all, not once did I ever think of him as an inspiration for me as a voiceover talent, which isn't taking anything away from him. It's just a totally separate world. And so... Does that make sense? Like I've I've enjoyed listening to him my whole life, and I'm sure on a subconscious level, I've picked up a few things here or there without necessarily recognizing it. Vin Scully never, never, ever, ever in his entire life, from my understanding, from everybody, and I'm and I'm quite close to some people on the Dodgers, has he ever acted anything other like your nice neighbor? Wow. Who just, you know, I mean, he's like. He's a god among men in terms of how talented and brilliant he is. And yet he's always worn that as if it's just what he does for a living. And um, so he's an inspiration there. But we're, we're, as voiceover talent, we're given a script. For the most part, we're given exactly what we're supposed to say. And you can add a little color to it and have a little fun and improvisation. But Vince Scully had to come up with all of that on his own. I mean, everything you hear coming out of his mouth, 
he came up with. So that is a whole other skill set. And he had to know the sport. I don't have to know what I'm talking about. I do a McDonald's commercial and I don't know. I have to know how to make burgers or, you know, really, I'm just sort of bringing it to life. I'm bringing the script to life as as an actor. And what is an actor? We're the primary fakers in the world, right? Yeah. Um, (laughs) The only thing that I'm bringing um, of any true value, and I'm being completely authentic here. Uh, Maybe your listeners don't want to, you know, maybe they don't want authentic. But the only thing I'm really bringing is my own sense of my own lens, my own view about something, my heart, my experience with my emotions and my intellect. That's what a voice talent brings to a script, is their um, ability to bring emotions to life and to make them as authentic and sound and look as real as possible. When you're watching a great movie, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio or Julia Roberts or um, Robert De Niro or, you know, name Meryl Streep, name any of the brilliant people, you know, the top 80. What they do so successfully and draw why you are drawn in and why you care, quote unquote, about the characters they're portraying or buy into the characters they're portraying is because they bring emotions to life on such an authentic level because they live in those emotions. They know how to reach deep and pull you into the magic of feeling those feelings. That's what a great actor does. Right. And that's a different skill set from a brilliant storyteller and sportscaster in his own way. Of course, Vince Scully, I mean, beyond anything else, he's a brilliant storyteller. Um, but he had to come up with those stories. He's the one writing those, producing those, directing every every bit of what he's done. And he has to know the sport inside and out. So um, they're just very different skill sets. But he is a hero of mine. Definitely. So you mentioned the NFL draft, and that's actually something we uh, did want to bring up. Tell us a little bit about that experience and you know, just what that was like. To, I mean, that's a big stage. The NFL draft is huge. Tell us that a little was, bit about that experience, just being a part of that you know, event. Yeah, that was surreal. Um, and again, I wasn't brought on as a commentator or a sportscaster. I was brought on strictly as a voiceover. So right. um, equivalent to you know, when you watch the Academy Awards and you hear the beautiful voice announcing the celebrities and what, what category they're in. Um, so that's, that's what I was doing. It was crazy. It was the first time they'd ever done that. Well, bring in a live announcer and it was also the first time a woman had done that so it was both it was weird and crazy in that I didn't really even know football so when I got the call you know what I like to do this and it literally was a phone call from the exec producer uh, Jay Rothman who heads up Monday Night Football for ESPN as well as the draft it was like I didn't even know what they were I didn't know what the draft was I mean, draft to me was draft beer. And I know that sounds (laughs) insane, but I I wasn't a football fanatic. So I didn't really know what they were talking about or what it was that I was being offered. Um, Although I knew whatever it was must be a huge honor. That much I got. And I had to do a crash course for about three months. I think it was three months that I had uh, to prep, maybe maybe two months. I, I bought every magazine I could. I asked every male friend that I had, you know, to, to educate myself on it. And then I created flashcards to learn how to say the names um, and to know what college they came from. I was actually going to ask about how difficult was it to learn how to pronounce some of those names. So I'm but glad you brought that up. <laughs> yeah, my my year was in Dominican Sioux. 
so you know really difficult to learn there you know there were the easy ones but then there was also the you know all the different colorful awesome uh, different ethnicities and, and different names so yeah I had to really learn that because that was my job was going to be to say out loud once once the draft once the pick was made to say um, their name what college they were from and what position and what team they were going to so it wasn't so hard to learn how to say the Browns but it certainly was hard to learn some of the names and just get it all smooth you know so that right. coming out of my mouth it sounded like I actually knew what the heck I was saying um, so a lot of practice and then the actual event itself was surreal I mean I literally it was like I was picked up from my little my little bubble of the world and dropped into this you know literally the center of NFL football and um, and I was surrounded by absolute professionals you know people at the top of their game and just trying to just trying to stay out of the way and learn as much as I could and and just feel like I had some semblance of being organized I was there for four days so I was there for um, you know, a couple of days prep ahead of time just to rehearse and learn the setup and, you know, do a couple of dry runs. And then the actual, I was only there for the first, you know, the first day pick, first day of the draft. Yeah, which is the, you know, which is the, the prime spot on TV anyway. That's, you know, that's why they're, that's why, that's when most people tune in anyway. So that's your, your prime audience. Everybody wants to find out who's the first pick, you know, the first, the first 10 picks are the biggest picks of the night anyway. Yeah. So we had one of our listeners was curious to know, uh, which which is a good friend of the show anyway, um, about scratches. You know, you do a lot of scratches for project concepts, and they wanted to understand what what a scratch is. And we're curious to know: is there any projects that you worked on, but that didn't get produced? You know, that you just absolutely loved and it just didn't come to fruition. Uh, it's a great question from someone on the outside. So that's a great question. So the answer, so there's a lot of questions in there. So I'll answer the first one. Was was the first question, what is a scratch? Yes, yeah, what's pre- a, what is a scratch, yeah. correct. So a scratch is another way of saying um, a, a temp track, temp voiceover while a project is being developed or worked on. And there's various levels of scratching. So... For example, Disney and Pixar certainly will have a scratch track that they're animating to to get as close as possible to what the final animation will look like because, of course, they can't be bringing in Tom Hanks, you know, five years out. It, it, you know, first of all, he's not available. Second of all, it'd be cost prohibitive. Right. So they're going to have someone scratching in for Woody's lines um, all the way up until the final record, usually especially at the level of Tom Hanks. Um, So as a project is being developed, they're going to have a scratch track to animate to. They may get someone who's a top celebrity voice matcher, or they may just pull, you know, different, which is what Pixar does all the time, just pull the animator down the hall to be doing it. And sometimes, as as we all know, a lot of times the animators will just keep themselves on the final. Pixar is... Uh, notorious for that Um, and Disney less so so because we all know that a lot of the animators ended up being the final voices on it and and I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing I'm just saying that's that's how they roll 
um, with regards to uh, video games, you don't usually, except for maybe the cinematics, you know, the, the little movies that run within it, they don't really need placeholders. Um, they're just going to have voice talent come in for the final record. And then there's projects at all different levels of development. So there's smaller animation houses around town that are hoping to pull together a final animated feature um, or series. And they'll do scratches as they're developing the pilot or the project. So that's that's what scratch is. And I've been attached at all different... And, that, and that's scratching for animation for for trailers, for movie trailers, as trailer houses are developing the campaigns to sell back to the studios in the hopes that they're going to be attached to the final campaign, they're going to have scratch, they're going to hope to get voice talent to scratch so that when they make the pitch, there's someone who sounds reasonably like Amy Adams or Angelina Jolie or, you know, any of the celebrities when they have to adjust lines. So if you've ever watched a trailer and then had the the intelligence to go, hey, wait a second, that line wasn't in the actual movie now that I've seen the movie. <laughs> right, yes. You know, oftentimes they cheat a little bit or change things slightly to help with the storytelling of the trailer. Because okay. if they were just to lift a lot of the lines straight out of the movie, it doesn't tell as cohesive a story as adjusting it or tweaking it slightly. Right. So they look for voice matches for that. I'm probably... A, and I, I'm not exaggerating. I'm probably attached on the trailer side of things to um, at least 70 different trailers right now. Oh, wow. But but wow. most of those aren't going to quote unquote go to finish. Either the trailer house won't won't get the campaign that they were hoping to get, or uh, the trailer house that does get the final campaign is going to hope that they can get the celebrity. Um, to scratch, sorry, to record a couple of the lines that ended up in the final trailer. And celebrities, usually if it's an A-list movie, you know, a major feature, usually the celebrities have somewhere in the contract that they'll do at least one session for those trailers because, of course, they want their voice, you know, they would like to hear their own voice on their own movie trailer. So, um, you know, you know what I'm saying? Amy Adams is probably going to want to hear her voice on the national right. trailer they're running. Right. So it's in everybody's best interest to try and get the original voice. But if it's a last minute change or if it's if they just couldn't get the celebrity because the celebrity's so busy, then my voice will remain sometimes attached to the final trailer as a as a voice match. And on not to get too complex, but then there's also the narration scratches. So the voice that you hear on the movie trailer, we call them the narrator. The voice of God right. that you hear on the trailer. Of course, nine times out of ten, or ninety-nine times out of a hundred, that's a male voice. Um, but I do scratch on a nice handful of things where they think that they may want a woman. Girl on the train was one where I, you know, uh, scratched on, and a couple of other animated projects and Disney projects and such. So, uh, as, as the narrator, as the voice that you hear, uh, again, the voice of God on the trailer. Gotcha. So, to any question, I'm on a bunch of things, um, and we'll see what happens with anyone. <laughs> it's always an honor, and I always learn from it, and it's always great to somewhat uh, keep learning and getting better and better at the skill craft. You hope that you go to finish on those, and I've been lucky enough to go to finish on enough where I'm proud to be in that small little swimming pool. But you never know. And I'm not allowed to talk about what I am on uh, in general. 
Right, yeah, um, I understand and, that, yeah. Yeah, we sign an NDA, and most of the video games that we do, Mass Effect was a very unusual one. You probably, if anybody was following my social media, I was able to announce last week that, I was, that I'm on Mass Effect, which doesn't come out till March, because they dropped the trailer. So I was allowed, they said in my session on Monday, last Monday, hey, by the way, you can now talk about this, because we, we dropped the trailer today. Oh, okay. <laughs> But for a full year, I couldn't say to anybody that I had voiced for Mass Effect. So, so to to bring this kind of back around a little bit more towards Disney, um, we just we've noticed um, some some vlogs that you're doing tours at Disneyland, uh, and they'll, you kind of you, you seem to have a real love for the history, I guess, of Disneyland. Uh, how often do you get to do that? Do those tours with with people? I know you're busy, obviously, with your work. Well, it's more how often do I accept the invitation? Because I get a lot of people who reach out and say, "Hey, will you, will you, you know, let's go down and film something." I did it with. Um, I'm sure you're referring to Fresh Baked Disney. Yay, Fresh Baked. Um, yes. They were a, a rare, interesting. That was a unique case because I actually was um, linking some of their videos to some of my Facebook posts. If anybody, if any one or two of your awesome listeners follow me on Facebook. My Facebook is very unique from my Twitter and my Instagram in that I go in and I write something very heartfelt and very real and very much usually steeped in deep deep Disney history and facts. I make sure that it's very accurate and coming from a very authentic place. So it's more like a blog. I like to always have a video um, that brings to life some aspect of what I've just talked about and is related to the Disney history or the, you know, celebrities history. And I was finding that more, more than once or twice, I was linking a a fresh baked hidden, hidden secrets and mysteries of the park video to bring to life. And I started to realize that we had a real kinship in terms of our love for Walt's legacy and you know, the, the deep Disney history, the footprint of it, the DNA of it. And that's a passion of mine from having grown up at the parks and my dad, <clears throat> my dad having worked with Imagineering at some point and me spending a lot of my childhood um, just hanging around the park while he was in meetings down there, marketing meetings and stuff like that. So um, I have a real respect for what the original Imagineers created. Um, I wouldn't call it um, worship. <laughs> but it's close to it. You know, I'm clear I'm clear that imagineering is not a religion, but I get as close <laughs> to it as, as you know, as some passionate football fans do in Texas about their college teams. So, um I speak from that point of passion and I realized that what Fresh Baked was doing, um David the owner in particular was really similar to my feelings. So at a certain point, I think it was on the anniversary of the Haunted Mansion. Yeah, I think this year, for the anniversary of when the mansion first opened, I did a special blog about it and linked up their video, and I watched it a couple of times. It was a 20-minute long hidden secrets and legends of the Haunted Mansion, and it was so good. And it really had the kind of painstaking research that I go into on my Facebook posts. So I, I literally reached out to David and said, you know, kudos to you. And I'm borrowing quite a number of your videos. Would you like credit for them? And, you know, it just started a conversation. And then at some point he said, if you're ever interested in going down and talking about voiceover at the park, I'd love to do that. And I was like, hell yeah, 
you know, that's that actually sounds with someone like him who cares so much and, and he does a beautiful job of shooting things. You know, he really does a great he's got a great eye with a lot of integrity. So it just started out as like a one time thing and then it got a lot of great feedback and 20, you know, I think it got 20,000 views in just a couple of weeks. So we went back and did another one for Halloween and then we did a last one where I go inside the mansion and Tower of Terror. And that, you know, that hasn't released yet. I'm sure it will be a big hit when it does. But um because we had a lot of fun and, and they gave us access. I actually it's the only place in the world that I get the Tom Cruise treatment. It's adorable. You know, because they most of the people who work the Haunted Mansion are huge mansion fans. And so um that's why they're working it. And it's like a it's like a <laughs> a status thing at Disneyland, right? You have to really know your haunted mansion stuff if you're going to work at the mansion. So, they let us have access. They let us get really special access to the mansion to shoot to shoot what we were shooting. They kind of held the they held the line back for a little bit and we got to go in and do shoot a couple of things without anybody else being in there and that sort of thing. And um it was really cool. That's the only so far to my knowledge that's the only thing I've gone down and, and shot a tour with. Yeah, that's pretty neat. That's it's uh, you're a great person to follow on Facebook if you if you like Disney history and like you said it's uh, everything that you put on there it is very authentic and I like that aspect of it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. My my heart really goes into it. I sometimes will have auditions waiting to get recorded at 2 in the morning because I'm working so hard on my Facebook post for the next <laughs> get really deep into it and um and i like i like the story to flow i like it to be to feel like i'm sitting across from you and tell you know right. sharing this with you as opposed to lecturing or just dropping facts so kat i know we're recording a couple days before thanksgiving and i know that you're doing something um that's really meaningful um not only to you but to many people out there can you tell them uh our, our listeners out there what you're doing on thanksgiving this year yeah, although unfortunately I think this podcast is going to drop after right. it's happened. But um, but yeah, it's, it is pretty special. Um, not me special. The event itself right. is pretty awesome. It's called the West Side Thanksgiving, and it's been it's existed I think for at least twenty five years, maybe I think about twenty five years. And it's different people from from LA, different parts of the industry meaning, you know, Hollywood, banded together. Again, I, I'm not clear on exactly what year it started, but it's been around for about 30 years. And they basically said, look, you know, there's obviously a huge strata of Los Angeles that can't afford the nicer things and that maybe is really struggling. Certainly after Reaganomics hit the whole country, you know, a lot of people found themselves in a, in a, you know, a more challenging financial situation. So it's basically this awesome special event for low income families and some of the homeless as well, where for one day they're treated like, you know, they should be treated, which is like the rest of us are, you know, if you want to go get a haircut, most of us out there can just go get a haircut. And if most of us need eyeglasses, most of us can figure out how to afford the eyeglasses. So it's it's mostly it's meant for low income families and kids to be able to go and get clothing and, um, you know, towels and bed sheets and mattresses and eyeglasses and haircuts and a beautiful Thanksgiving feast 
and we spend, I mean, some of the people that are part of it are spending weeks beforehand, months beforehand, you know, getting the clothing donations and the um, everything else donation, housewares donations, and um, recruiting um, hairstylists and uh, optometrists and all of that. And then the other part of it is the feast part of it, which I'm part of. This year, I'm lucky enough to be um, sort of, I guess you call me the lieutenant in the kitchen. There's a captain that I'm serving under who's in charge of the entire kitchen, and I'm sort of one of the main lieutenants under him who will spend all day Wednesday, literally 6 a.m. until 8 p.m. cooking and prepping and getting ready for the feast. And then I'll be showing up at 6 a.m. on Thursday, Thanksgiving, to um, start the cooking and then we feed people all day long this beautiful Thanksgiving meal with all the fixins, and we get donations from all over. You know, the food donations from all over town um, ahead of time, and it's it's a phenomenal undertaking. You know, kind of like feeding an army, which is what we're feeding. And ironically, we're doing it out of the VA campus this year, the beautiful historical um, veterans campus in Brentwood. Anybody can Google it and see it's you know, basically these barracks from the 1930s, these beautiful buildings, and it still serves as the VA hospital out here. Yeah, we'll be just be cooking all day long and feeding thousands of people who show up and are bussed in from all over um, Los Angeles to enjoy this Thanksgiving event. So it's really special. And um, I've been I've been doing I've been part of it for 15 years. But you it's like everything you got to work your way up. <laughs> so <laughs> I started out as just a, you know, a lowly food server, waiter, cleaner, busser person. And um, now I'm in the kitchen, you know, helping sort of run it. So it's really cool. That's excellent. That's obviously a great cause. And, uh, you know, it's, I'm sure it feels good to give back like that and and be there for a lot of people who are not as fortunate in life as you are. Uh, So that's a, that's a great cause. And, uh, you know, I admire you for, for doing that. I respect that quite a bit. Well, that's very sweet of you. But I think if, if you're lucky enough to be making a living in, in Los Angeles and you're not doing something like that, <laughs> I think there's, you know, you need to. You need to somehow figure out a way to step outside the selfishness and the self-involvement and the narcissism. And um, pe- certainly there's people, I mean, I participate in a number of children's hospital charities as well throughout the year. you got to do that, man. I mean, right. Life is too short and you got to be, and it reminds me, it's a, it's a selfish thing too, because it reminds me to keep being grateful and to keep appreciating. It's hard to, sometimes you get so caught up and we all get caught up in our careers and our families and the day-to-day bill paying. And it's, I think, uh, really important to recognize that there's so many millions and millions and millions of people out there who don't have it as good as we do. And if you're not doing that on Thanksgiving of all days you know i mean just do something (laughs) there's a there's a local local, you know this is going to come out before christmas there's something going on you know in your local church for christmas just spend an hour take the family down you know give back a little bit i think it's important i think it's really important i agree i have an acquaintance uh who lives here in north Carolina with uh, with me a friend of mine and he flies to California everywhere for the chalk walk at Disneyland oh yeah um so I yeah. Know he's a big he's and I and I can't go to California but I donate to him you know to his account or whatever so that you know for him walking or whatever during the chalk walk so um I know that's 
it's obviously very important, um, especially you know for me personally, you know, kids um, kind of have, you know, just have a special place for me with a newborn at home. Uh, you know, kids are always, you know, try to help the kids. If, if you don't want to help anybody, at least help the kids, you know, come on. But you should help everybody. Um, but anyway, that's a great cause, obviously. So we're, uh, we're glad that you got to share that. And uh, we hope that even though it's not going to be out before Thanksgiving, uh, you know, hopefully next year, uh, anyone who we have a lot of listeners in Southern California, uh, obviously with Disneyland being there. So maybe they can uh, yeah. come out and be those lowly bus boys uh, that you used to be. That they can well, replace you exactly. since you've moved up. <laughs> Well, not lowly, but, you know. No, I mean, of all the jobs, it's the most fun because you get to show up for 45 minutes and serve food and you feel like a rock star, you know. (laughs) And I did that for for 10 years before my brain went, hey, who's actually preparing this food that I'm serving, you know. So um, it's it's the most fun job, just serving the food or busting the tables because you're just seeing everybody's happiness and you're not having to do... You're not doing the heavy lifting, so to speak. Right. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, yeah. So, and and I'm going to be tweeting. I'll be tweeting all day Wednesday and Thursday, telling people to come out and join me on, uh, you know, on Thanksgiving. Just spend 45 minutes. Here. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, before we wrap it up, um, every guest we have on the show, we always do the tiki lightning round. Now you've been on before, so we're not going to make you do the same five questions, but we do have. Uh, they say lightning never strikes twice, but in the Enchanted Tiki Talk podcast, that is not true. The Tiki Lightning Round <laughs> does strike twice. Okay. Uh, so we have some. We have five new questions for you. Okay. Um, so just off the top of your head, these are you know some Disney things here. Uh, what is your favorite uh, sit-down restaurant at a Disney park? Oh my God, it, it's um, it's the Me- uh, Zocalo. What is it? Uh, oh my goodness, I'm bl- Zocalo. Cafe de Zocalo? I don't see you're talking to a guy that's only been to Disneyland once. You're, oh my so god! So I can't really help you. It's the uh, it's the Mexican restaurant right next to Big Thunder Ranch, and I'm so embarrassed. I know Zocalo. I ate there, and it was really really good. I know what you're talking about. When I the, my one trip, it's amazing. Uh, I'm googling it. Hold hold that. Wait, I'm, I'm googling it right now. Rancho del Let's Zocalo. Guess Thank you, Rancho yeah. del Zocalo. I yeah. Not only is the food really really good, but it's it's usually it's usually more reasonable than like Blue Bayou, and you're outside in this beautiful Mexican style patio right next to Rainbow Ridge, hearing the attraction. It is one of my most favorite parts of the day, and I love eating there. It's fantastic. Yeah, I really enjoyed the food there. I, I think I would have chosen Cafe Orleans myself, but that's a those those palm frites are amazing. But this is your show, not mine. Uh, how about your favorite attraction to ride at night? To ride at night. Yes. Well, considering most of them are dark rides where you're not outside, is that what you mean? Like. Yeah. Well, some attractions are just different at night. Like Big Thunder Mountain is different at night. Um, so just if you're if it's nighttime, what do you want to go ride? At Disneyland, there's only five that have any sort of outsideness to them. Um, <laughs> well, that should make, then you only have to choose one of five, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Favorite. Yeah. Big Thunder Ranch is a lot of fun at night. Um, not not ranch. Sorry. Big Thunder Railroad. Um, Matterhorn's pretty cool. Radiator Springs Racers at night is pretty awesome. We don't have that. That's what I'm saying. It's like, well, it's a California adventure. I mean, we we say Disneyland as as the whole resort, not just Disneyland. Oh, see, now you're talking to a snob. DCA exists, but it's not anywhere <laughs> on my you. map in terms of uh, it's 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 got four great attractions, and then I'm out of there. So I got gotcha. you. I understand. I got gotcha. you. 
I, I really right. I really like the Matterhorn and Big Big Thunder Railroad. All right. How about your favorite Disney villain? Probably Captain Hook. I would have to go with Captain Hook. Excellent. And your favorite Disney Pixar movie? Toy Story 2. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last question, of your favorite park memory from when you were a child? Oh, no, there's so many. I mean, anybody who saw the Fresh Baked podcast, Berries in the Trees, you know that moment, Berries in the Trees? You got to go back and watch that podcast because he did a beautiful, he shot that so beautifully with me explaining about the lights in the trees. So that is by far my favorite Disney memory. And if you haven't seen it, I I don't think of myself as adorable or hilarious on camera. If I did, I'd be an on-camera talent. But he got me to share a story, and it's adorable. Because I just, you see, you can actually see me transform back into a five-year-old. It's pretty oh, wow. awesome. that's nice. <laughs> so, fairies um, in the trees, the whole uh, story of the lights in the trees at Disneyland. Excellent. Well, that was that was lightning striking twice for you. So well done. You handled that perfectly. Thank you. Uh, so before we wrap up, uh, just go ahead and let our listeners know uh, where they can find you on social media, your website, all that sort of stuff. I lucked out. You can actually find me at my name at every single uh, every single everything. Um, Facebook, Cat Cressida. Twitter, Cat Cressida. Instagram, Cat Cressida. Cat with a K, Cressida with a C. Or you can Google it, find me on my website. It's uh, I, I got lucky that my name was still... We, we, we did have to buy it back from someone, but they were super sweet and they didn't even charge me. They had my name registered and they released it so that I could use it. <laughs> That's so random. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to go through the trouble to like buy up a domain name for a celebrity, why are you not going to then charge them to buy it back? I mean, what's the point? But I digress. I don't know. Well, first that was of all, very you, nice of them to do that, though. I, I hardly think I'm a celebrity in any real sense, but I think I think some people probably do it in the hopes that eventually they'll get contacted by that person and be able to say hi to them. Is probably why. That's a good uh, point. Okay, I never thought point. about it that way. Um, I, yeah, I was kind of surprised it was held at all because it's again voiceover people. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna go for the big time whatever. There's a lot of names out there you can <laughs> you could buy you could snap up first. But yeah, my name. And I hope you do if you do join me on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, give a shout out. And uh, you know, I, I like to respond back to people who are into deep Disney history like myself. So fantastic. Well, we wanna thank you for coming on. We had a great time again with you. Uh, and we appreciate you taking the time out of your night. Uh, we know you had a busy uh, evening there uh, before you came on to talk with us, so we appreciate you, uh, you know, taking a, about an hour, hour and a half of your night, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your night on the West Coast. Uh, it's late here in North Carolina. It's midnight, so I uh, hope yeah. you enjoy the rest of your night. So. <laughs> thank you very much. I've, I've got a little bit of work to do before I can pass out, so thank you for the well wishes. That's going to do it for this week. But first, we want to thank our sponsor, Kingdom Strollers. Kingdom Strollers provides premium stroller and crib rentals delivered straight to your door. For more information, visit kingdomstrollers.com or call 407-271-5301. Also, head over to myfantasybands.com where you can get customized magic band covers for your next Walt Disney World vacation. And if you use the code Enchanted Tiki Talk 20, you can get 20% off your order. That is Enchanted Tiki Talk 20 to get 20% off your order at myfantasybands.com. 
Be sure to let us know what you thought of our show. Comment in the notes at EnchantedTikiTalk.com. Email us at podcast at EnchantedTikiTalk.com. And leave us a message on the Tiki Talk hotline, which is 256-4MY-TIKI. That's 256-469-8454. Please like us on Facebook. Check out our store at RedBubble.com. And follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at Tiki Talk Podcast. Lastly, if you enjoy the show, please take the time to rate us on iTunes. And you can find me on Twitter at One Minute Disney Dream. That's one M I N Disney Dream, MouseWorldVacations.com, and MousePros.com. And you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Dolwip Daily. And you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm at Norman Bates. That's N O R M N B, the number eight and the letter S. Thanks for listening this week. For Sean, for Keith, and our special guest, Cat Cressida, I'm Alan, and this has been Enchanted Tiki Talk. Aloha. Enchanted Tiki Talk has been brought to you by MousePros.com. Log on to MousePros.com to plan your perfect Disney vacation. And by Kingdom Strollers. Visit KingdomStrollers.com on your next visit to Orlando or call 407-271-5301 for premium stroller and crib rentals. Thanks for listening to Enchanted Tiki Talk.